Now, the Psalms are a portion of Scripture that are the favorite of many Christians, probably for two reasons. First of all, the Psalms are poetry, and poetry is that which stirs our emotions and gets all of us involved in the Word of God itself. Uh, It's also the fact that many of these psalms are literally songs, and they're meant to be sung. And because they're songs and because they're poetry, they seem to touch our hearts and emotions in very deep ways when we read them. Now, advertisers understand the power of a song or music to help us remember things. So they put their sales pitches to music, and I don't know about you, but I can still sing some of the jingles that I remember watching TV as a boy, which was a long time ago, like this one. My baloney has a first name, it's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name, it's M-A-Y-E-R. I love to eat it every day, and if you ask me why, I'll say... Because Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. It's like everybody was singing along with me on that one. It gets stuck right up here because we sang it, right? For the first 18 years of my teaching career, I taught at Northumberland Christian School in central Pennsylvania. Our principal had a gift for music, and he tried to get the students and teachers to memorize scripture by setting it to music. This technique of singing the scriptures, along with the repetition of singing it every morning at school, sure succeeded in getting some of the scriptures stuck in my mind for 30 to 40 years later, I can still sing these scripture passages, like Matthew 5 in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so on. Would you believe from that that I could sing the whole passage today, 30 years later? Because music has a way of helping the truth get stuck right in here. Now, at the Christian school, when we got to the Christmas season, uh, our principal set Luke 2 to Christmas carols. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he was born of the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, and so on. Would you believe I could sing that entire one today? 30 years later, did you notice I wasn't looking at my notes? (laughs) Music helps us remember important truths and gets them stuck in here. Now, while I would 
like maybe to have the Oscar Mayo jingle not taking up room in my brain, the fact that those scriptures are in here is God's blessing to me. So I'm thankful that the scriptures are stuck in my mind because music gets our hearts and souls and minds involved and helps us remember. Now, in our bulletin at the beginning of Psalm 67, you don't see these words, but these words are at the beginning of the psalm. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. You see, what we're studying this morning was meant to be sung. There is repetition here that reminds us of the stanzas and chorus of a hymn. As a song, it's also meant to stir our emotions. And I pray that my mind, which tends to do better with the logical and mathematical than with poetry, I pray that my mind and yours as well will catch the emotions of this psalm so that together we can do justice to this passage. You'll notice that along with the psalms, I have printed out the ironic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. This psalm echoes that daily priestly blessing when it begins by saying, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now look, any Jewish person that had been trained in the Jewish religion would read the first verse of Psalm 67 and I believe have their minds go to Numbers chapter 6. Because Numbers 6 and the truths there are so similar to these words that any Israelite singing these words would think about the ironic blessing of Numbers chapter 6. The ironic blessing was a blessing pronounced on Israel at the end of each day. So much like you would hear taps played at the end of each day at an army base, the ironic blessing was, was spoken over the people of Israel, at the end of every single day, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Words spoken by the priest over the nation every evening. And Psalm 67 Verse 1, and the end of the psalm that says, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. These words take us back to Numbers 6. So I'd like to, based on Psalm 67 and the ironic blessing, bring basically three truths to your mind that are not difficult, I believe, to understand, but because of remaining sin, it's so easy to forget these simple truths. So in your outline, I've reminded you of these truths by asking three questions. Number one, from where does true blessing come? The ironic blessing in this psalm make the answer to this question very clear. True blessing comes from the Lord. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. I myself, God says, will bless them. May God be gracious to us and bless us. God, our God, shall bless us. 
God shall bless us. It's hard to miss it. (laughs) If we know blessing, any blessing at all, it comes from God. The answer to that question can't be clearer. True blessings come from God. Yet one of our greatest shortcomings due to our natural sinful tendencies is to look for blessing in all the wrong places. Now this is stated about the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 2.13. I apologize for not sending some of these verses to, to the folks to put up behind us, but try to stick with me with these anyway. Jeremiah 2.13, God says about the nation of Israel, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God is saying that one of Israel's greatest sins was to look elsewhere for blessing And he compares it to drinking water from a broken cistern when they have a fountain of living waters at their disposal. One of the reasons I chose to preach on this psalm was because I shared the ironic blessing with my family on our vacation at Twin Lakes in the Poconos in July. As sort of the elder statesman, on Sunday we gather for worship, and I lead the family in a little devotional time after a bit of singing. So my original audience consisted of 24 of my relatives, uh, 10 of which were children between the ages of 2 and 15. So this is what I wondered in my mind as I first shared this idea with them. I wondered, how can I communicate this truth from Jeremiah in a way that the children would understand since I was pretty sure that they couldn't relate much to cisterns. <laughs> you know, I look at it like, what in the world is a cistern? I actually asked and found out that a couple, of other, a couple of them did know what a cistern was, but I didn't know that they'd relate very well to the cistern idea, so I used this illustration. I asked them to imagine that on one of our hot days on vacation, great Uncle Scott got all hot and sweaty and wanted to cool off. I asked them what they would think of me if I chose to cool off using this strategy. Instead of diving into the beautiful, clear, cool lake right in front of our cabin, I decided that while walking between our rental cabins that I had spotted the nicest It was full of water because we had had thunderstorms the previous evening. So I decided to put on my bathing suit, grab my towel, head to that puddle, and splash around. What would they think of me after rolling around in the puddle, being all covered with dirty water and mud, telling them, that was great. It was so refreshing. I'm pretty sure they would have thought that great Uncle Scott had lost his mind. Why would I cool off in a puddle when there's a beautiful lake to swim in? I then shared with them this idea as I share with you now. That is exactly what we do when we look for blessing in other places 
besides God. Have you ever looked for blessing in possessions? Have you ever thought, you know, I'd really be happy if I just had that car or that house or that bank account balance or that toy, and I'm not just talking about children. Have you ever looked for happiness in relationships? Have you sought blessing through the approval of others and people thinking highly of you? Have you sought relevance through a particular job or giving yourself to a noble cause? When we look for blessing in these things, we are swimming in a mud puddle. When there's a cool, clear lake nearby. God wants us to remember from Psalm 67 and the ironic blessing. He wants us to remember real blessing and happiness can only come through him. Now, in speaking of that, what, what is blessing anyway? <laughs> I mean, we've been talking a lot and using this word, but the word blessing, you know, gets thrown around a lot, even in our day. You know, when you say, when you hear someone talking about, ask them how they, I'm blessed, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed, and what does it mean to have blessing? Well, the Bible also makes it clear in the ironic blessing in here that when the Bible uses the term, it reminds us that true blessing lies in a face-to-face -face relationship with God, experiencing His protection and experiencing His favor. In the context of the Old Testament, blessing was often associated with the provision of children. Think of the promises to Abraham. The provision of food in the form of crops. Verse 6 in our psalm says, the earth has yielded its increase and also in the provision of the promised land for the nation of Israel. These were all things associated with blessing in the Old Testament. Now, all of these blessings were always meant to be secondary in nature to the blessing of simply having God as their God and knowing that God sought their good in terms of protection and provision. Notice the emphasis in the ironic blessing and Psalm 67 on God's face and his countenance. God's blessing is described as his face shining on his people. The heart of true blessing is to have the face of Almighty God shining on you. These pictures are of a God who delights in us and does so to the extent that his face shines whenever he sees us. True blessing is our Heavenly Father's face beaming as he looks at us. God wants us to feel his pleasure. He wants us to know that it is his desire to protect us from harm, and to provide for us whatever we need for this life, whether it be physical or spiritual. He doesn't provide these things grudgingly. He doesn't provide these things because 
He had to. He made a promise. He provides these things for us happily. And he wants us to see this pleasure in the way that he looks at us. Eric Liddell was a missionary to China whose story of Olympic success was told in the movie Chariots of Fire. The movie recounts the story of his success as a runner and his refusal to race in the Olympics on a Sunday in order to honor God. One of the things especially emphasized in the movie was his unusual running style. In answering questions about why he would run at all and participate in the Olympics, Eric Liddell said this, God made me for a purpose. He made me for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God wants us to know that true blessing is knowing his pleasure, knowing that he delights in us, knowing that his delight can be seen on his face when he looks on us. He wants us to know that his face is turned toward us in grace and in peace and that there is no greater blessing in life than knowing that this is true for you. Let me imagine for a second that so far this morning you've been hanging on my every word and following my train of thought. I would think that the next question to be asked then would be this one. What do I have to do to get this blessing? Okay, Scott, I agree with you. This sounds really great. What do I have to do to get this? The, third, the answer to the third question Maybe the best thing about this sermon, I don't know. If one desires God's blessings, how do we get them? Okay. If you don't remember anything else I say this morning, would you listen carefully to this and remember this? Sometimes the best truths are found in what is not said. It appears that God's answer to the question in this, God answers the question in this way, what do you have to do to receive my blessing? Nothing. Nothing. The Old Testament constantly emphasizes in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 9 the fact that God didn't choose Israel because they were a great nation. In fact, he chose them before they were a nation at all. He didn't choose Israel because they were righteous. In fact, his promises were made to Abraham before the nation even existed. He didn't choose them because of the potential he saw in them. He didn't choose them because they were more righteous than other nations. He chose them because of his grace. In ancient times, when, something, when someone wanted something from the gods, small g, plural, several questions needed to be asked. First, you needed to find out what God controlled, the particular realm in which you wanted a blessing. If you wanted children, you prayed to the fertility God. If you wanted victory, you prayed to the God of war. You wanted a good harvest, pray to the God that controls the weather and the seasons. Once you realized what God to consult, you then wondered, what do you do to appease this God? Does he want sacrifices? 
Is he looking for a portion of your crop or the spoils from your military victory? What must be done to achieve blessing from this God? One author that, that wrote on the book of Numbers that I particularly appreciate uh, actually said that ancient people approach getting blessing from the gods the way we approach getting things from the government. thought that was an interesting analogy. If we want something from our government, we say, what department do I have to consult? What forms do I have to fill out? What information do I need to give to them so that I can get this government handout? God's blessing is never achieved in this way. We must realize that there is nothing we could ever do to merit his blessing. His blessing is gracious. His blessing is a gift. If it could be merited, it would, it would be neither of these things. This is the good news. This is the best news. And this is the gospel in the Old Testament. Now, the good news, the best news of the Scriptures actually does begin with some bad news. The fact that none of us are righteous enough to merit this blessing of God in our lives. None of us can do anything to earn it. God doesn't bless us because of our righteousness or our potential. We receive his blessing as a gift. It is grace upon grace. So Romans 3 can tell us, none of us is righteous, no, not one. None of us understands, none of us seeks God. All of us have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And after telling us all of this, it then says, but now there is a righteousness of God that can come to you through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Ephesians 2 tells us exactly the same thing, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you and I once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath because, or like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith this not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone might boast. The reason the ironic blessing in Psalm 67 do not give us a list of all the things we must do to receive God's blessing is because there's nothing we could ever do to merit God's blessing. But the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus earned God's blessing for us. Now, I don't mean to contradict myself. 
But there's one thing we must do to receive God's blessing. We must believe in Jesus. We must put our faith in him, which means we place all of our hope in Jesus and not ourselves. We must stop believing that we are good enough to merit God's blessing. We have to stop believing that with all our hearts that we can do something to get it. And we must believe with all the conviction we can muster. We must believe with all of our hearts that our only hope is Jesus. If we do this, the Apostle Paul was very fond of saying that we are in Christ now. And because of this, because we're in Jesus, our Heavenly Father smiles on us because He loves His Son and is well pleased with Him. God delights in us and is pleased with us because we are in Jesus. So the last point I've got to make really takes up the rest of the psalm and says, what is the purpose, what does the psalm say was the purpose of all this blessing that God showed to Israel and God shows to us? Again, this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. And the rest of the psalm is a reminder that this good news can't stay with us. This good news wasn't ever meant to stay with Israel. This is such good news that it was always God's purpose to bless all the nations with this news. So verse 2 says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. The word that or so that is a word of purpose. It was always God's purpose that this good news go out to the entire world. Yes, for a time, this good news was centered on the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but it was never meant to stay there. It's too good of a news to stay with one group of people. It was always meant to go out to all nations. And even in the Old Testament, the blessings that God poured on Israel were supposed to make the surrounding nations, in essence, jealous. Okay. So then comes the chorus of this song. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. I'm sorry, my bad. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's like the chorus because it's repeated again in verse 6. After more reasons to do this, the chorus is let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. As I said before, I was originally scheduled to preach this sermon at the end of the summer, which meant it would have followed our series on the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see Psalm 67 played out in history. After his resurrection and just before his ascension, Jesus gave the disciples a commission. He told them to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is how the gospel ends, and this is how the book of Acts begins with Jesus telling his disciples that they would receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As we studied the book of Acts together, we saw that while Jesus gave them this clear message of going to all the nations, 
The disciples were still slow to believe that God's blessing was for the Gentiles. So God came to Peter in visions, and he sent him to the house of Cornelius to show him that it was time, it was time in history to take the good news to the entire world. And God even raised up an apostle, Paul, through his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, which is kind of curious, isn't it? Because Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was the most serious and dedicated of all Jewish people, and yet God gave him the task of taking this good news about Jesus to the entire world, to the Gentile world. So on his missionary journeys, Paul would go into the synagogue and he would tell the Jews about this good news. And then after preaching to the Jews and mostly being rejected, he would take this good news to the rest of the people in each city. God's purpose to bless all nations was really seen from the very beginning. In Genesis 12, God called Abraham And he promised him that he would make a great nation of his descendants, which was fulfilled in Egypt. He also told Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's purpose from the very beginning was that this blessing, this blessing of knowing him, this blessing of knowing him face to face was to go out to the whole earth that his kingdom would go out to the entire world. So here in Psalm 67, the psalm begins by, the song begins by reminding the Jewish nation that God's blessing is on them, and his blessing is an amazing expression of his grace and love. Then the song expands its reach and its view and calls all people to experience the blessing of God in Jesus and to praise him for it. Verse 4 says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The Israelites had known God as their ruler. The Israelites had known God as their judge. The Israelites had known God as their shepherd. The ESV Study Bible says that in the Old Testament, the first duty of a judge was to protect the innocent. He was a kind of savior. The Israelites had known the salvation of the Lord. They had experienced God as their savior when he delivered them from Egypt. They had known the salvation of the Lord when he defeated the Canaanites and brought them into the possession of the promised land. The psalm now looks forward to the day that all nations would know God's saving rule. God's kind and providential guidance, the faithfulness and justice of his ways. We see glimpses of this elsewhere in the Old Testament. In Daniel, we see how Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar walked around Babylon, his kingdom, and spoke these words. Is this not Babylon which... I have built by my mighty power and by the glory of my majesty. This is one of the most arrogant sentences ever spoken by a man. And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar by causing him to lose his sanity and for a time to literally live like an animal. 
But at the end of that time, God graciously gives him back his mind and his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar writes these words in Daniel 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Those are the words of the great ruler of Babylon, who at the time was the most powerful person on earth. And he understands and comes to know the message of Psalm 67, that it is God who rules and judges. So the psalm now anticipates a time when God's rule is going to be acknowledged, not just by some people at some times in history, but by all men everywhere. And when God is acknowledged as sovereign, there is gladness and joy to sing about. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In these days of turbulence, when reasons for discouragement seem to be everywhere, it is more important than ever for us to remember that our God reigns. He reigns over all the nations. The good news of his kingdom is spreading throughout the world. People of every tribe and nation and tongue are coming to know Jesus and coming to know that through him, true blessing comes to their lives. God's kingdom is advancing because this gospel message is unstoppable. This is the message of Psalm 67. I will close with an invitation and some more poetry. Do you know this God of true blessing this morning? Have you personally experienced the blessing of knowing God face to face and knowing that through Jesus, God's pleasure is upon you? Do you have a confidence in the fact that God's reigning over this earth and that he's bringing gladness and joy to the souls of those who believe in his reign? If not, I call you this morning to believe in Jesus, for he is the pathway to these many and great blessings. Let me leave you the words of a hymn by Isaac Watts that expresses this confidence well. And when I looked it up to write it down, I even found, found some verses that aren't in most hymnals that I think are particularly appropriate for what we've looked at this morning. 
So if you know this hymn, as I'm reading it, think about the verses that you don't normally hear. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Behold the islands with their kings and Europe her best tribute brings. From north to south the princes meet to pay their homage at his feet. Their Persia, glorious to behold, their India, which shines in eastern gold, and barbarous nations at his word, submit and bow and own their Lord. To him shall endless prayer be made, and praises throng to crown his head. His name, like sweet perfume, shall rise with every morning sacrifice. People and realms of every tongue Dwell on his love with sweetest song, and infant voices shall proclaim their, earthly, their early blessings on his name. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to lose his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. Where he displays his healing power, Death and the curse are known no more. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Let every creature rise and bring peculiar honors to our king. Angels, descend with songs again, and earth repeat the loud, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the message of Psalm 67 and number 6, we thank you that through Jesus, countless blessings have come our way. We thank you, Lord, for knowing the blessing of knowing you face to face, for knowing the blessing of feeling that your pleasure and smile is upon us because of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the good news that he earned all this blessing for us, that we don't have to try to earn it ourselves, but we can simply trust him. I pray for anyone here this morning who has never laid hold of Jesus Christ as their only hope of real blessing in this life. Give them grace right now to call upon Jesus for salvation and great blessing. Thank you for your help this morning. Help us to remember these things throughout this week. And as we come to our Thanksgiving holiday, help us to sit down in quiet and count the many blessings we have in our lives and to praise you for being the one who brings all of these things to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.